Alright guys, welcome back to another episode of The Hunter's Quest. I'm glad to be with you. This is your host, and my name is Hunter, but again, this is about all of our quests as hunters to get better and to learn and to grow and to uh, just enjoy life to the fullest. So um, this week I have a guest who runs a company uh, designed to do just that, to get out, have some unique outdoor adventures and to get the most out of your experience and um and do something different and uh so if you've seen um any of the stuff i've done in the past uh the i guess the films haven't come out yet but um if you've seen a lot of the stuff that gritty does you know they use uh pack rafts quite a bit which can open up a whole you know new world of opportunity and so i thought it'd be cool to sit down and have a conversation with thor who is the ceo of alpaca rafts so I was fortunate enough to be able to try a alpaca raft out this year on my spring bear hunt, and uh, I was really, really impressed with um, just the maneuverability and the stability of the thing. Uh, I was kind of a little nervous about it at first, but as soon as I got paddling, like it just it went very smoothly. Um, so I thought it'd be cool, like I said, to get Thor on here, talk about alpaca rafts and just kind of the opportunities that, uh, pack rafts in general open up to public land hunters. If you're willing to kind of grab that extra piece of gear. And, um, it's pretty amazing that you can carry around something that weighs five pounds and is a fully functioning watercraft that can just open up tons of stuff that, um, you know, might get you a little way from, uh, get you away from other hunters a little bit more or into some areas that, you know, you might not otherwise be able to get into. So this is a cool conversation. I hope you enjoy it. We also talk about Alaska quite a bit, um, cause he's an accomplished Alaskan hunter. So enjoy this episode with Thor Tingy from Alpaca Rafts. See you on the next one. All right, guys, welcome to the show. This is Hunter, and today I'm joined by the CEO of Alpaca Raft, Thor Tingy. How's it going, man? It's good. How are you doing? Good, man. So I got to say, I think you probably have the coolest name of anyone I've had on the podcast, Thor. Yeah, well, and it's <laughs> actually short for Thor Killed, although I've gone by Thor no, really? my whole life. Yeah. And I've met a few other Thors. Um, there's actually one in Alaska who pack rafts. Um, <laughs> every once in a while he calls me. It's kind of funny because he's like, hey, Thor, it's Thor. And I'm like, oh, sweet. <laughs> but so, I'd never met another Thor killed. Uh, but strangely enough, uh, the marketing, I believe, director for Weatherby, his last name is Thor Kildson. Oh, that's We were right. joking about that. Yeah. Yeah, Luke I met Thor him. Kildson. Yeah, that's interesting. Does it, what does it mean? Does it mean, I guess it's the God of Thunder, correct? Yeah, it's um, um, killed is kind of I don't quote me here, but I believe it's similar to like sen or son, or it's just a okay. suffix for yeah, right. um, a familial relation to that. That's most common in Denmark, although it's kind of all over Scandinavia. Yeah. So, were your parents into like Norse stuff? Um, my dad studied linguistics in. Uh, graduate school and actually spent two years in Finland. Okay, nice. Cool, man. I've met a couple of Finns. They're cool people. Yeah. <laughs> They're fun. Um, at least the ones I met were. But um, anyway, man, um, yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, I own a alpaca raft, actually, and I used an alpaca raft for the first time ever this year. Um we were going to, rec I was with, um, Mark Livesey. I don't know if you know him. Um, but we were going to go recover a bear and both of us had never even touched one. Um, and then I was really, I was like, so we were, the, the rafts belonged to Ryan Lampers and. Oh, I know we, Ryan. Yeah. Okay. So we were hunting with them and you know, <laughs> like I said, me and Mark both had never touched one before. But when we had to cross this river, we were in Idaho, and we were both kind of like, you know, a little nervous, like, you know, <laughs> first time ever touching one of these things, we're about to go across a river, and um, and mine, just because Ryan just, you know, hunts hard, like, mine was all covered in Tyvek tape, and like... Classic, yep. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I was really, really 
surprised by how quickly they cut through the water, how easy they were to maneuver, and how steady they were. I mean, like, um, yeah, it just felt rock solid, and we got across super fast and easy to to steer. So um, I was sold after that, and um, I wouldn't got a I got a caribou. Um, so yeah, man. Um, I just wanted to to let you know that, and then I'd love you to get, to give people just kind of background just on yourself and and the company as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, that's great to hear. Uh, I'm glad that sometimes you know the, the real world experience of novices in our boats kind of matches what we try to say, which is largely you know, hey, these these boats are they're super beginner friendly. In some ways, that's from more of the advanced paddling community that it actually is sometimes a complaint people say it's too easy to get over your head quickly uh i don't think that really bears out but i understand where that's coming from as right. you experience you get in it's stable it's easy to paddle it's not intimidating yeah which is what we want it to be we want it to be a super friendly um performance boat uh yeah because i was expecting to- it to be like a you know a kayak or even like a canoe like really yeah. like ooh, like freaky but like um no, that wasn't the case. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as yeah, if you've been in canoes or especially if you've been in kayaks, you know they're they are there is a learning curve to those. Mm-hmm. And packrafting is is a really kind of easy, super stable way to get out on the water. So we're psyched on that. But anyway, so a little bit more about myself, a little bit more about the company. Yeah. Um, so I grew, I was, I'll just say it. I I was lucky. I was born to super outdoorsy parents who were really heavy into the outdoors world yeah you know back in the 60s when not as many people were um into that like they both they met in jackson hole my dad was a climbing ranger my mom had a ski clothing business they skied hard they climbed they backpacked they owned horses they did oh, wow. kind of ev- everything That's awesome and we moved to alaska in 1981 right after the big expansion of the national parks up there. My dad worked, well, he was a climbing ranger for Grand Teton National Park and okay. we moved to Alaska and I spent elementary school in Denali, middle school up on the Northwest coast in the village of Kotzebue and then okay. high, high school in the Anchorage area, but uh, field summers in Lake Clark and Katmai and down on the Kenai Peninsula. So I kind of got amazing. a really thorough Alaska upbringing in the eighties and nineties, you know? And yeah um so i mean we had how uh, big of a town is kotzebue that's pretty small so kotzebue felt to me like a big town because i (laughs) because i went to elementary school in denali park or actually school in healy but we lived in denali park and we had 50 sled dogs and then we moved to kotzebue kotzebue is about four thousand people now five thousand i think it was about three thousand when i lived there yeah but every single person lives in one square mile at the end of this little spit of land so even though there's not as many people there, it feels very um, urban is the wrong word, but it's very densely populated. Like right. your neighbor's house is 10 feet away from your house. Interesting. What so, was it like growing up in that um, tiny, like tight knit community? Uh, I, I loved it. You know, it was, it was kind of a challenge, you know, like any kid, you know, moving's tough. Yeah. Uh, I think I was fortunate that we got to move as I switched schools. So I didn't ever have to move in the middle of a school. I get to, yeah. You know, I did elementary school in Healy and then middle school in Cotsview. But um, I had a super tight-knit group of friends kind of everywhere I went. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we got to do a ton of adventures. You know, the thing with growing up in those kind of places is I I spent more time outside than I, most kids ever could dream of just yeah. doing stuff, getting myself into uh, all kinds of trouble that way. And, you know... And my parents were super outdoorsy, so we would do a float trip in Alaska every year and yeah. a dog mushing trip every winter. Uh, and my dad loved climbing, so I, I grew up climbing and uh, I got really into that. And, you know, I actually learned to fish and hunt from my dad uh, and my mom, but my grandpa was really like dedicated um, hunter and fisherman. And okay. so I fished with him a lot. But, you know, I, I just assumed that uh, fishing and hunting is like, Alaska and you know it was a kind of a painful reawakening moving to lower 48 and being oh, like yeah. oh it's a little bit different story down here mm-hmm. um but I still go back to Alaska I go back almost every year to fish and every few years to hunt okay so that's me <laughs> yeah um 
And then, you know, the company kind of jumps in, in all of that. I went to a school in Colorado Springs called Colorado college and they had mm-hmm. a grant program where you could get a, I have my um, notes on my phone. I'm not texting. Yeah, it's all good. No, you can get, <laughs> I just want to say that all good. You could get a grant, um, to go do a wilderness trip of 14 days or more. And oh, nice. it was because there were a few years before I went there, uh, some students who had graduated, two of them were killed on Alaska's Mount Foraker, mm. climbing a new route. One survived and, um, Ritz parents gave their surviving member and his friends, um, a fairly sizable foundation to start this grant program because this guy, Rick Kellogg is so into that outdoors. And he grew up in, uh, I think Connecticut wanted to move out West, move to Alaska and died up there. And so there was this really cool grant program established at the college to go do these wilderness trips. And it's funny, me as a kid who grew up in rural Alaska, living that life, I was like at a loss, like what can, what kind of grant could I apply for? My parents suggested that I talk to a fairly well-known adventurer in Alaska named Roman Dial. And I met Roman, you know, Roman must've been about 40 at the time. And I was 19 mm-hmm. and he's like, you got to try pack rafting. And I'm like, what is that? I had no idea. And he was, he was basically like, Oh, you know, you really can't, do these landscape traverses in Alaska without a boat because there's so much water. And so yeah. this pack raft thing will get you, allow you to float down rivers and cross rivers and, you know, move around lakes where the walking is difficult. And he had done some really wild trips around that time with bikes and just traversed all over Alaska. But, um, so he convinced me to do this. We get this grant, but there's no boats available. There was a mm. boat, kind of a mediocre boat, good for the era built in the eighties called the Sherpa that was made by Sherpa snowshoe company. And it was for mountain lakes, you know, not for Alaska rivers, but it worked okay, but you couldn't get them anymore. And uh, there were only a handful of them in Alaska. But probably not to made, made to handle like brush and rocks. No, no, not rivers. (laughs) Yeah. And so, but I couldn't even get my hands on one of those. So I had to buy a Seveler trail boat, which was a cheap vinyl pool toy. (laughs) from i believe i got it from cabela's but you could get them at kmart and walmart you know they were yeah. they were like 70 bucks wow and it and it was literally like thin vinyl pool toy but it was colored green to make it and there was a you know picture of somebody in a lake and so you could go out into a lake and go fishing <laughs> and we dug, drug these boats through the alaska wilderness and, wow. and had some serious encounters with hypothermia and all this other stuff, but the concept kind of stuck like this whole landscape travel thing. Mm -hmm. And I got back from that trip. And then two years later, we did a second trip in the Brooks range where we kind of designed our own route. And we went 700 miles in 40 days as 22 year olds. And it was kind of this, you know, light bulb experience, you know, really influential on my life going through that. And it was super incredible, but the equipment was still woefully, you know, inadequate for what right. we were doing, what we were doing. And my mom, I mentioned had had the ski clothing business in Jackson hole in the, in the sixties and seventies. And she had made dog mushing clothing in Alaska in the eighties and nineties. And she was kind of looking for something else to do. And she had been a whitewater kayaker and she was like, well, I can make a boat. And so she started kind of attacking this project and said, you know, what do you want it to be made out of? What do you want it to look like? And I, so I gave it for kind of my parameters of what it needed to be. Mm-hmm. And that's, this is 2000 to 2002. And that's kind yeah. of where the company started. And, you know, we build our first prototypes and it was like, Hey, these are real boats. They can do backcountry trips. And so, yeah, uh, that's kind of where Alpaca started. And so you, you kind of, it was kind of like most great inventions born out of necessity kind of like for some of your own adventures did you have were you aspiring to make a company and sell these things commercially or was it just kind of like something that you could use uh you know honestly uh, i think my mom was aspiring to make a company because she needed she was kind of getting to empty nest and she'd always been an entrepreneur and she had some mm-hmm. more energy and stuff like that and that was a big thing for her i was a 22 year old college graduate who you know didn't know what i was doing with my life and so i was just aspiring to have a boat that i could go do adventures with (laughs) and kind of once that happened 
you know, I'll be honest. I, I was involved with the company, but not in the sense of like, I really want to make this my life and my career. I didn't do that. I actually just kind of like took the boats and went and did adventures and helped out a little bit. Yeah. And then I, I actually went to law school in 2004 and, okay. and really stepped away from the company other than, uh, you know, talking to my mom, you know, as we would talk fairly frequently, but mm-hmm. not often about business. And it wasn't till about eight or nine years after that. And she had grown the company significantly at that point that it would kind of came this alternative option. And she's kind of like, I don't want to, I've, I've grown it to the point. I don't want, she's a, she's a creative genius product centric running a brand is not her jam. Right. Like she'll do it, but it's not her passion. Yeah. And so for me and my wife coming back to the company was really about us being able to come in and run the company and letting my mom continue to do the design work that she's so good at. And this whole time, Aaron, were you still into, um, like for fun doing these type trips and, and stuff? Yeah. So I, I, I did a ton of pack rafting, big adventures kind of through like 2007, the early years. Mm -hmm. And then I was practicing law in Portland, Oregon, busy and was, I'd gotten married and, um, you know, I kind of ended up in much more of, I would call weekend warrior adventure. So I did less pack rafting in in some of those years. Uh, in 2009 though, my, um, dad and my wife and I did an amazing doll sheep hunt in the Alaska range with pack rafts. That, That was super cool. And then, you know, but I was, I was more doing weekend stuff. So I was bird hunting a ton in Eastern Oregon and then my wife were mountain biking a lot. And then I kind of, we kind of came back to pack rafting a lot in probably 2013, 14. And, you know, yeah. now, now it controls everything I do in life. Yeah. So (laughs) you're, you're in the big city making presumably pretty good money. Yeah. Um, what was it that brought you back to alpaca raft? You know, honestly, it was two things. It was it, one, my wife was tired of the city. Um, she'd mm. grown up in Anchorage, which is a city, but she grew up in the outside of town, you know, had moose and everything in her backyard. And yeah. Kind of over it. And she was working at Nike and 45 minute commute each way. And oh, she was dang. just like, I'm, I don't want to do this forever. And, you know, not many people say this, but I actually really enjoyed practicing law. Uh, but I got a bad head injury in 2017. Mm. Uh, um, but I wasn't riding a bike. I was actually working in my garage on a bicycle. I had a, a big accident and kind of it, that really shifted my ability to kind of practice law on a day-to-day basis. Cause I, I went through a long period of time where I kind of struggled with the mental side of things and wow. brain fog and post-concussion syndrome stuff. And, you know, that kind of, I would say that pushed me away more than anything. And suddenly there was this opportunity to come to this business. And the funny reality is, is I, I definitely work more now than I did practicing law, but because I, we run things, I have more control. So I get more, you know, um, and I've, I've massively improved my health since then, but I still, you know, if I were to fall and hit my head and kind of like have a relapse a little bit, like, I can take a week off of work and I don't have clients that are (laughs) frustrated with that. You know, staff and stuff take, take good care of me and we try to take good care of them. That's interesting, man. So I had, I had a brain or head injury myself. Like in college, I was longboarding down basically a mountain and I started to like get the speed wobbles and I'm like, I'm not going to make it. So I was trying to get to the end to like bail off and roll like out into the grass. And I, stepped off the board like a foot too soon and just on the straight on the curb like right here on my eye socket broke my eye socket my nose in two places horrible concussion and yeah dude i was like depressed for like a month after that and like um you know did really bad on my exams it was like right exam and like i felt like it like for a while it like sort of changed me a little bit did you experience some of that i had pretty much exactly that i had had one significant on before and what happened to me is i was trying to remove the the, this really thin aluminum nut on the top of a a suspension fork and i was in a rush and so i kind of didn't normally take the fork out of the 
off the bike, put it in a stand to do that work. But I had the bike in the stand. I was just going to take it off. And so I was pushing. I thought I was being smart and I'm pushing away from mm-hmm. myself with the crescent wrench. And I, I'm, I'm holding onto the handlebars and like it, this thing was really stuck on tight and at full force, the wrench slipped. And so I, all my body weight pushing on those handlebars swung the bars around and the metal brake level handlebar hit me in the right in the bridge of the nose oh, right underneath yeah. head snap back you know double black eyes and i thought it'd be fine for about two weeks and then i just started to go downhill and yeah. uh, i i went through terrible bout of insomnia like i think i went 22 days without sleep and oh my it was, gosh that's enough was, to make you lose your mind right there it, it really was and i was i was a pretty miserable person and you know i ended up getting a lot of uh uh I was fortunate to get some really good physical and um, cognitive therapy that kind of helped me through it. But it was a year, at least a year before I was, you know, felt I would describe it as human again. And then, you know, it's not, we're now eight, nine years out and uh, my day-to-day life doesn't bother me at all anymore. But definitely if I take a hard fall, like I have to be, I still love to mountain bike, but if I, if I go off the bike, that's not a good day. (laughs) Gotta be careful. (laughs) Um, So obviously, you know, injuries are not good. Uh, no one likes to get hurt, and that was a bad experience. But um, are you glad that there was something, or maybe it's kind of weird to say, but are you glad that there was like a catalyst that like put you into kind of living this life as opposed to, or do you wish you were back still in Portland practicing law? <laughs> no, no, no. This is definitely the better life. My wife and I both love living in rural west uh you know it's taken us some time to get used to the desert that's kind of you know growing up in alaska yeah. in the northwest is, is you know get uh i do love the sun but definitely like there are times where i'm like could just handle a little bit more rain a little bit yeah. more moisture here but I feel that. no we love living out here uh you know the 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 funny reality is yeah it was probably a fortuitous thing and kind of pushing me in, in the right places and, and the reality is is i don't think that I would have done as well if I had stayed with the company from the beginning. I was 23 years old and yeah. working with my mom was probably not the best thing. And then, you know, getting 10 years away, getting a bit of a professional sure. career and some professional training and then coming back has made me a better person for it. Or, Absolutely. You know, but, uh, you know, my, it's, it's funny because my office and my life is constantly a mess here. You know, you think of most law offices, you go into everything's like clean and organized. And my office here is just like utter chaos of prototypes and samples and ideas. Yeah, that's kind of, you can see. I yeah, no. Boxes. I'm, well, hunting yeah. season's about to start. So I'm like, this yeah. is all my food I'm about to start putting together and, you know, um, jerry rigging my own hats, you know. Yep. <laughs> packing exactly plus i'm coming from virginia so it's like a whole different level of logistics like i'm shipping a box of all my camping gear to wyoming to one of my buddies want to take it on the airplane and just a whole bunch of stuff man it's a lot of work yeah so but. you're about to go to alaska right for a trip no i i you know that's so i just got back from a trip i was went up i've had a we have friends from down here that have a little bit of um, place in Kachemak Bay near Homer. And so I went up oh, with cool. them to ch- check that place out. Um, where I was supposed to be there and have a super fun week there. And then I was supposed to go out and do a pack raft trip fishing, um, for kind of big fall rainbows on a river in Western Alaska. And my partner got COVID the uh. day we were supposed to fly to Bethel. And I was, you know, it was just, I, it, you know, it's a tough call. Cause I was kind of like a little bit, I was like, I could have gone on my own, but originally kind of a plan for two people. So I had a two person pack raft and then I didn't bring a bear fence. And I was just kind of like, I don't know if I really want to do a solo trip on a river that nobody's done in like three, four years Yeah. with you know, a two person boat with no overnight bear protection. I was like, I'm not being super That's a smart sketch. about it. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the weather was terrible. I think the, the fact that the weather was terrible and already had me a little bit like, eh, yeah. It was a little, a little easier to call it and, and go home, you know? And then I was like, I ha I haven't had COVID yet. And I was like, you know, I'm not too worried about getting it, but I'm just like, I don't even want to get a cold in the back country. And the last no. thing I want to do is be sitting there with a fever. Cause I just would, 
I'd just be bored and frustrated sitting in the tent, you know, yeah. while he's at, well, you know, I should be fishing and I'm just like, it's miserable and wet outside. I'm just going to sit in here and drink hot Gatorade and wait for this to go away. <laughs> that would be <laughs> So miserable. I ended up coming home. Uh, so that was, that was kind of a missed trip, which those, those happen. Uh, yeah. It's been a while since I've had one. Um, but uh, archery elk here starts Friday. So oh, yeah, nice. kind, of get, kind of getting ready for that. Nice, man. So, um, when did you, you started hunting as a child? Started hunting as a child. Um, I, I really got into fishing my, you know, long story short, my, I mentioned my grandpa was really into hunting and my dad mm -hmm. grew up hunting and liked it, but he had a really unfortunate job in the sixties and seventies. I actually still have this hunt. There's a, there's a, hunt on the national elk refuge in jackson hole mm. and it's still controversial but back in the day it was uh, a little bit worse and, and they had what seemed like a good program for people with disabilities being able to hunt on the refuge where these elk are just out this big field but the end result on that there was a lot of wounded animals in the 60s and 70s and my, and my yeah. dad's job because he was one of the few hunters in the park service fish and wildlife working there was he would go out and dispatch all the wounded animals. So he oh, would, dang. he would put down many, many elk every year that would have been wounded and it kind of soured him on the experience. I would say yeah, I a little bit, Yeah, I bet. but he was psyched to be a dad and psyched to like introduce me to hunting, but like hunting was had ceased being a passion of his. Yeah. So when I grew up, I actually didn't grow up big game hunting. I grew up, um, trapping rabbits and um hunting ptarmigan with a 410 and uh you know mostly small game stuff um, so delicious they're so delicious and so i had a <laughs> lot of fun ptarmigan hunting and then in college i got really into bird hunting and i bird hunted all the way you know i i, I didn't stop bird hunting till, probably till six years ago and that's only because i moved to colorado and there's not great bird hunting close to okay. here and my my dog got uh you know finally passed away and you know bird hunting is not the same without a dog, you know? And I yeah. was like, I don't want to drive four hours to hunt with somebody else's dog kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, but I did, when I got out of college, I got pretty into sheep hunting in Alaska and had a lot of fun doing that. Cause that for me combined my upbringing, which was mountain travel and backcountry travel in Alaska with hunting. And I was just like, where has this been all my life? Yeah. Um, so tragically now not being a non-resident, I can't go without a guide. So it's kind of a little bit harder for me to get yep. sheep hunting anymore. But, um, I have, I still go up and we'll do a caribou hunt or a, um, sick of blacktail hunt every couple of years. But, you know, I've nice. gotten much more into bow hunting down here, which is, now I'm like, ah, I see the addiction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, um, last year was the first time ever I'd been like, I wasn't even hunting. I was filming, but I was the first time I'd ever been like in archery range of an elk bull elk, like bugling. And yep. I was like, okay, yeah, now I understand. Like, this is like otherworldly. This is crazy. Yeah. 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 It's quite the experience. Yeah. They're like dinosaurs or something. But, um, so yeah, just like for me, like my first backcountry trip ever was in East central Alaska. Um, like a DIY walk-in caribou thing. Awesome. And then, yeah, and then um, the next year I went to Kodiak and did blacktail. Yeah. So Alaska is like really like part of my DNA as a backcountry hunter. Like it's so um, I got a chance. Uh, there's a, a hunt consultant that I knew, and I was just kind of like putting feelers out about sheep and stuff, and. He's like, well, I know a really good outfit that's got a cancellation for 23. He's like, but, you know, you got to jump on it or it's gone. And I'm like, it's not getting any cheaper. So I, I grabbed it. So I'm actually, oh. yeah, I'm actually going to do a Alaska range um, sheep hunt in 23. So Incredible. talk to me a little bit about that hunt, man. Yeah. So I, my dad had a uh, remarkable knack for drawing difficult <laughs> permits. Um, I don't know. It's just, I, you know, it's funny. I, of all the, in all the years that I've kind of been in Alaska hunting, I, there's a, I know it's not rigged, but I also am like, there's a surprising number of people who successfully draw really difficult to draw hunts in Alaska frequently. Mm -hmm. And my dad just happened to be 
uh, one of them. I know, uh, you know, our marketing director, Emily, uh-huh. moved up to Alaska a year, a year ago. And so she, oh, okay. they just got eligible this year to apply for tags or whatever. Her first year, she draws a, a super hard to draw Chugach doll sheep tag. Oh, my God. She draws a bison tag. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, I, and, and then her husband drew, drew a Kodiak um, brown bear tag. Wow. And I'm just like, what? Like, Dang, dude. I've, I've never drawn a la- tag in Alaska. And they're all random, so there's no points. Yep. It's just all random random lottery, you know. Yeah, I've been it's trying to get that even... Raspberry Island elk tag for a while. Oh, that looks so cool. Yeah. So, anyway, my dad and, um, and I applied as a party hunt and uh, drew Delta-controlled yeast area. Oh, nice. And Which was an awesome tag. And we did a lot of research trying to figure out you know, how are pack graphs going to make this better? Yeah. How uh, do you because, use that to your advantage? Yeah. And one of the cool things about the Delta unit in particular is that it's the first season there is no horse, no plane, no motorized. So okay. that's kind of a key, nice benefit of pack rafting. Yeah. And so we kind of looked for various different rivers and there are a handful of them where we were like, okay, if we go in here, we can go in further because getting out won't be as, as, as difficult yeah. because we can float everything out. And so my dad, my wife and I hiked in, um, about 24 miles. And so wow. we got way away from where anybody else was hunting, um, had a really incredible experience, saw tons of sheep and, um, got a really nice ram. And it, it was the only thing that was a little bit intimidating was there was, we knew, I knew from satellite imagery that there was a gorge the river went through a gorge and I knew there was white water in it, but I didn't know how bad it was going to be. And so, um, you know, which is a little bit trickier with, with, um, paddling a whitewater specific pack graph versus paddling pack graph that's full of sheep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but we got lucky and we, we, we got a really nice Ram ended up having to camp up high cause it got dark before we were able to get down, made it down to the, tents the next day slept till like noon slept in and it was funny because we put on the water i think at two o'clock and uh the river was hauling and i believe we were back to the car by six like 26 miles in four hours and the canyon went it was um there was a few little little spicy spots but it was all super cool and that was like yeah yeah, this works so amazingly well the, how, to walk how in heavy, with slightly heavier packs and then yeah how heavy sheep. were you going in with because you had what like how much day, how many days of food seven or we, ten we we took in eight days of food eight days of food um i bet i had a 65 so 70 pound pack 18 pounds going, of food 18 20 pounds of food yeah at least probably tw- probably 20 pounds raft was how much yeah. just maybe my whole raft kit at the time was probably like 13 pounds okay do you carry a life preserver or do you not? Um, I did on that trip because there was a canyon. Um, yeah. You know, I, I I pretty much always take a PFD. The only time I don't is if I know it's going to be like a pure fishing trip on shallow flat water. Right. And, the, you know, from the company perspective, we tell everybody always to wear a PFD. But, <laughs> right. you know, the reality of what it, I do personally is I wear a rescue PFD in whitewater. I wear, I always wear a PFD. I'm going to be on some unknown, especially a swift water river system. Yeah. The only time I don't bring them is, you know, there's a handful of rivers in Western Alaska that are never deeper than two and a half feet. And 80% of my time, I'm actually not floating. Mm-hmm. I'm actually like got my boat loaded up with all my gear for the day and yeah. I'm walking down the river fly fishing the whole way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I just, it's like, I have a little sledge of gear and then every once in a while I'll float through a mile of flat water. Yeah, man, this is getting me stoked. I wish I was going up there this year, but, um, okay. So, so I'm going up there in 23, um, it's a 10 day hunt with rogue expeditions. I don't know if you've heard of them or not, but I haven't. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm like toying with the idea cause you know, I'm in content creation and stuff. So it's like, you know, you got to get as much bang for your buck as you can, you know, going all the way up there. I'm thinking yep. like, like, what do you, do you think it's stupid to try to tack something else onto that trip or do you think it's doable? Like to tack something else on in the same 
place or like a second trip in Alaska? I don't know. Whichever is more doable. I don't know. Like I loved because like that first trip we did, we did a caribou thing. We didn't fill a tag. Like we were within easy rifle range of two animals, but we weren't sure they were bulls because they were small. Yeah. So we didn't pull the trigger. Um, so I really want redemption on a caribou. Um, so it would be something like in the same area probably like i wouldn't be trying to like go over to kodiak or anything like that but um i don't know do you think i should just focus on the one hunt or do you think it's worth looking into trying to tack something on i think it's i think it's worth you know i think it's worth doing something else especially if you can manage to like fit like a day or two of like rest time in between just kind of like recharge and and get back out there but i'd make the second thing more relaxed because you're probably going to be pretty whooped after it 10 day sheep hunt yeah for sure depending you might not be whooped at all you might just be sitting there in the rain watching the (laughs) go by i don't know sheep hunting definitely takes that i'm I'm looking at that where they're hunting is awesome oh super cool yeah i have actually um you know i i don't know exactly where their range is but i know them that where they you say they are in western alaska and um those mountains out there kind of western alaska range i have hunted mm-hmm. sheep out there it's beautiful country it's actually some of the um best sheep hunting i've ever had in terms oh, of cool. just really spectacular because i so i've hunted sheep in the kenai western alaska and the alaska range and mm-hmm. i love the alaska range but the alaska range is is gnarly um yeah. so even that delta jump um delta U- unit and i know toke is the same way the mountains are super steep super big and so you're not really in my experience um you're not really spending a lot of time on the mountains you're spending a lot of time in the rivers and like the in the valleys and then kind of getting up on some mellow ridges and you're doing a lot of glassing from down there mm-hmm. identifying sheep and then kind of like in some ways waiting them out till they come out of the most gnarly terrain to try and access them it's just great hunting but it's different and the western alaska you've got much um you know everything softened a little bit Uh, and uh it's actually in many ways better sheep habitat um Mm. but the really nice thing about it is you get to spend a lot more time in my opinion up high so you can get up on the big ridges and look for tens of miles and um you can move a lot because you know you can get on these ridges and move many many miles mm-hmm. and then find and then when you kind of find sheep then you're kind of playing the cat and mouse game yeah so it's that that's, cool. that'll be an amazing hunt yeah i'm looking forward to it man um so you know and, and speaking of that i mean um like i said i have used a raft once but it was it was like a just basically just a let's get across and get this bear and then we you know we hiked back up with a bear and the raft um and just the i I just love the idea of adding another tool in your toolkit adding another option like um extending your ability to get into difficult to reach places um that being said um it's a kind of a completely unique skill set when it comes to identifying, okay, how can I effectively use this new tool or like, how can I be e-scouting or looking for areas where I can, it's just kind of a different logistical, like my, I haven't wrapped my head around it yet. So like yeah. from, a, from a beginner's point of view, like how do you kind of start to figure out how to really use a pack raft to your advantage? Yeah. I think that actually goes right into how, uh, you know, we don't do a ton of marketing and how we actually end up selling boats um, or people choosing to buy them. One of three things happens. Either they're in the backcountry doing something and they run into a waterway. And what usually happens is they're standing there like chilling out. <laughs> and then like somebody goes floating by with one of our boats and they're like, wait, w- what is that? Like, where yeah. did you get, get it? Cause they're totally like taken with there. I'm sitting here and I can't use this waterway at all. Yeah. And then this person just floated by and, and suddenly the light bulb goes off to my head and I got this, you know, you know, the wheels start turning. They're like, I want to do that. So yeah. we get a lot of people buying boats because that happens to them. We also get the, you know, almost the more narrow thing of like, somebody's got a specific spot that they were like, they've always 
been to and they've always wanted a boat there and they didn't realize that a boat actually existed that they could take to that location mm-hmm. so we get a handful of people doing that um and then the third is, is like people that are actually kind of into it and then they are actively looking for those locations so i think for the beginner you know a lot of times like you know it may just take a little bit of time to, to think back to places you've been and suddenly realize man if i had had a boat there that i could have done something that yeah. would have been really cool um and i could have accessed a, a location that other people don't access very much mm-hmm. um you know that's most common with fishing but with with hunting sometimes it's as simple as <laughs> you know i i've seen some people you know even in even in places like Montana, which have like, you know, so much country where they're like, Oh, I use a boat. I got a pack raft because I could then there's this little like reservoir or what have you that or a good size one that I was able to like, you, it's like a mile in hike. And then the other side of the reservoir has a whole bunch of deer, a whole bunch of elk on it, but it's, 15 miles to go up around the end of the reservoir and, and, and back down. Mm-hmm. So I realized if I packed in this boat and just paddled across, I could on all these deer and elk that really aren't being pressured by other hunters. Yeah. And that's like, they kind of figure out like, sometimes it takes, you already know that place. And it happens to a lot of people. I think once you kind of jump into the land of like, okay, I have the boat. Now I want to make it work for a specific hunt that takes time and research just like, I think all good public land hunting takes time and research and mm-hmm. difficulty to figure it out. You know, I will say that Alaska is far and away the easiest place to do that, hmm. you know, cause you just kind of figure out, um, most of the rivers in Alaska are quite floatable, um, quite accessible and just being able to go in with a boat gives you options Yeah, and you, and especially going into the pack raft gives you more options than, cause there's, float hunting has been a thing in Alaska forever. You know, there's, there's, I think there's even a guidebook on float hunting that's from the seventies, but it was all based around rafting, right? Like, you know, getting landed at a certain point and then getting picked up as a certain point. So you're really tied to where the planes can get. Right. And once you take the pack raft concept in Alaska, you realize you don't have to get dropped off on that river. If there's no lake on it, you can get dropped off at a lake that's four miles away. Because it's really easy for you to hike your hike your gear over there, and then you've got access to this whole river that almost nobody else is using. Yeah, you kind of like figure out those locations, and you go from there. Is the is the main thing? Cool. A uh, couple of specific questions, and these might sound like really dumb questions to you, but um, I don't know. It's kind of a new thing to me, so um, I know a lot of times it's going to be obvious based on just where you were looking which way a river is flowing but are there like <laughs> specific maps that will show you water flow directions no it's just uh, not that i've seen um but it's pretty obvious from from the way the topographic maps were yeah. you're obviously gonna the river's gonna get bigger as it goes downstream and then they always you know the junctions indicate um down where the v comes together everything the water's going to be flowing into that v and down down yeah. from that v not rivers don't tend to sp- there are probably a few but i've never been on one personally where rivers actually split and go into two different systems yeah downstream. that's true yeah, i never thought about that but okay and then the other question i had was is like so let's say i'm looking at alaska and i'm like okay i'm gonna try to tack on some kind of little diy thing after my sheep hunt yeah, you know, if nothing else, it'll be a cool couple of days of exploring. Um, is there a, and again, this might sound like a dumb question, I don't know, but is there a way you can, or like, are there some ground rules for like to look at something and be like, okay, that's a, a beginner can safely float this, or like, oh, this is sketch. Yeah, there, I, there are some. Obviously, satellite imagery is surprisingly good and can tell you a lot. Um, you know, you can see big white water and satellite imagery really well. Um, many of the, those rivers, you'd be surprised you do a little bit of Google searching. You can find out, like, has somebody floated it before? They may yeah. not have floated it to hunt, but there might be some information on it. But for the most part, I would say the rivers that are coming off glaciers coming out of the Alaska range are steeper, colder, and more powerful 
And so are definitely more of an advanced situation. Yeah. The rivers coming out of down on the Alaska Peninsula, Western Alaska, the Western Alaska range that um, where there's smaller mountains and virtually all of the Brooks range are so like the Hall Road stuff you might yeah, find. Yeah. Almost everything up there is pretty uh, straightforward. Easy class one, two, splashy, um, easy yeah. to paddle whitewater. And, I wonder if you that know, might be the thing to try to tack on as a haul road and try to float somewhere off the off the haul road. Yeah, and it's become more popular, but people still, you know, popular is a relative term. Yeah. If you if you hike off the road with a boat or you float off the road, uh, there will be some people doing that. But the number of people compared to the number of people driving up and down the road, um, just looking for caribou to kind of try to hike after, yeah. is vastly diminished and you know there are probably just off the top of my head i can think of at least seven or eight rivers that you can go do off the hall hall road um most of them involve hiking off the road and then floating back which is actually makes more sense it's great because you don't get an animal you come back yeah right exactly um that's interesting that's a great hunt i've done that hunt um and you know, you could just kind of like poke around on the, on the maps, everything that you're going to run into floating wise, except for, uh, and this is, I'm not revealing anything cause it's a relatively commonly done the Attigan gorge, which you actually float from the road away from the hall road into the sag river. And then the sag comes back to it. The Attigan gorge does have some white water. Um, you know, the, but the rule of thumb on that is don't go around any blind corners <laughs> in a Canyon, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know it's just good judgment you know if you're like just i don't know what's up there check it stop out. and do check it out yeah. um if you can see ahead and you still have exit possibilities then don't worry about it you can always yeah. pull over and get out and walk around one of the really amazing things about pack rafting is is portaging is um super super possible and actually relatively easy i often joke so the stikine river in british columbia is considered um one of the world's most difficult and test pieces for whitewater kayaking like hmm. un- like the best kayakers in the world go there to kind of wow. like prove prove themselves and i always joke i'm like oh yeah i take a scout our smallest um pack raft through the stikine and everybody looks at me like ah and i'm like yeah I would literally get into the road and I'd paddle the eight, the six miles down to the start of the canyon and I'd get out and then I'd walk around the canyon and I put back in. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I wouldn't go near that white water, but I, you know, what I, you know, I could easily take a pack raft through there because I can get out, walk up to the rim of the canyon and walk through it. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about it is if you're walking in and floating out, is you can just look and be like, you know, you can just scout out your river and say, okay, this is, you know what you're up against on the way out. Exactly. That's a really good hunt though. Super fun. Um, you know, you can do it total, you can do it crazy DIY by catching the shuttle up. That's kind of pain to get an animal back or you can rent a car in Fairbanks and yeah, and, and drive up there. Um, there's also, you know, you can do some really cool DIY stuff up there and save half the cost by flying in and then floating out. Hmm. So there's some, there's some cool options from there. Um, and, and, um, there's a hand full of, uh, there's some, there's some flight service operations on the South side of the range, but during hunting season, there's actually a couple, um, right up off the hall road that are super cub flights. And, you know, they're typically taking people, they're taking some sheep hunters in, but they're also taking a bunch of caribou hunters in but they're typically taking people with full-size rafts and they're kind of like those guys are kind of pinned down on where they can go yeah but if you're like hey i get a pack raft i just you know let's go drop off on some little more remote gravel bar and i'll do a mix of hiking and adventuring to kind of get back to the river and check out caribou and then float my way back hmm. nice. so there's some yeah my there's some, good stuff up there you got my gears turning big time dude like this is probably gonna have to happen (laughs) yeah that's a that's a great hunt and then you know the rest of the road system's pretty uh 
challenging to hunt on. Most of the permits in the road system area are resident only um, or difficult to draw for resident for non-residents. So that that's a little bit more challenging. But mm-hmm. um, there are still some super good, uh, super good hunts that are more practical for um, doing a fl- float um, uh, where you've kind of take an Alaska airlines flight to one of the bigger villages. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you can go out from there or even some of the smaller villages. And then you can, or you can do something that's, um, you know, taking like I mentioned, a handful of different bush flights out and then yeah. kind of float in, you know, where you can, it's not cheap, but it's half the cost of doing a, a, a proper big outfitted float trip. Yeah. Yeah, man, especially now as uh, flights are more expensive and harder to book, um, you know, the pack raft is a, is a really good option for extending your um, ability to get away from folks. So, yeah, um, interesting. Totally. And, and you know, I, I don't know what the permitting is like out there, but, you know, and I don't know how the outfitters work, but, you know, that Western Alaska zone, there's there's caribou out there and there's super cool stuff um, doing stuff like that. And so, yeah, you know, might be a thing to check the outfitter and be like, Oh, Hey, you know, if I extend on a personal trip at the end of this, you know, I'm going to go. What kind of options are out there for that? Yeah. And then get picked up by either them or a different, um, um, flight service to get back to Anchorage. Yeah. Um, so on that note, the raft I have is a caribou. Um, what, what is that thing capable of? more than you think (laughs) you know they're people are always surprised at how tough they are and they really are i mean they're not so tough that you can like stab an arrow through them but they're um tough enough there's a truck tire yeah exactly (laughs) exactly (laughs) but because they run at fairly low pressures you can hit all manner of sticks and rocks and, and drag them over shallow gravel bars, uh, without yeah. a whole lot of damage to the boat. Um, and the amazing thing, I mean, just real quick, um, you know, I had camera gear. And so the ability to shove all my stuff in the tube of the boat. And I was a little scared at first about doing that yep. with my nice camera and all this stuff, but I did, I took, you know, cause I was coming back with bear meat and, you know, pack and rifle and, um, and it was a little wet. So yeah, I took my, I just really wrapped my camera in like a shirt and, and some other stuff and threw it in the tube and that thing stayed nice and dry. That's, that's money. Yeah. That, uh, you know, I go ahead and say that the internal storage, what we call a cargo fly, that airtight T zip that's you put in the boat where you can put your gear inside the tubes is the single biggest influence on making pack rafting accessible to a much larger audience mm-hmm. um that we've ever developed and because if you have to stash all your gear on the boat makes the boat top heavy oh, yeah. it limits your waste space what you could put inside the tubes is a staggering amount of stuff that the boat will float you can put yeah. in, so much weight in there so much bulk in there and then you're boat is super clean and easy to work with and all your weights down low it makes the boat more stable so that yeah. makes a huge difference but yeah caribou's super great boat uh it'll handle kind of everything you need to um we they've been surprisingly popular amongst i wouldn't say surprisingly they've been popular amongst the hunters especially because they it is such a light boat it's five pounds yeah. so you can That's um it, it doesn't yeah, in that concept, the caribou really gives you the most flexibility, I think, because you're not like, okay, I have to do a float-based trip. Like the Forager, which is our biggest boat, and is 15 pounds. Yeah, it's great. You can totally backpack with it. But if you're going with a fully kitted out Forager, you're usually kind of like, I don't really want to carry this thing 30 miles. I can, yeah. but it's yeah. not your your favorite and thing. You start adding food, camera gear, weapons. and All that and, stuff. Yeah. Yep exactly um Um, but that so that thing is good to go with one person uh, a caribou's worth of meat and antlers and seven to ten days worth of gear and camera gear absolutely it'll float it no problem you'll be um if you if you harvest an animal you'll be a little snug on the way out you'll be probably (laughs) paddling a little bit in what we 
jokingly call the pack raft starfish, which is where you're sitting in the boat and then your legs hang over the side of the tubes because you've got you know yeah. all your meat sitting in between your legs and then the um antlers are up on the front but it'll absolutely do it no problem yeah. and then like so yeah i got that one because because they like said the weight and um but let's say like on this trip um you know if i was able to talk some idiot into coming with me <laughs> or like a camera guy or something yeah um are there i don't want to like you know Obviously, I recommend people buy their pack rafts, but are there options where guys can rent them? Like, if I had a camera guy with me, could I rent another one and bring mine and, and a rental? Absolutely. There's actually more and more options. Uh, there's a handful in Alaska. I can't um, come up with the exact names right now, but there. But there's are, options are, if you search it. Options, and, yeah, and then or if you want to try one before you buy one or something. Yep. Honestly, one of the best is backcountry pack raft rentals out of. Um, um, they're in they're I don't think they're in Missoula, but they're in the, um, North, Northwestern Montana okay. area. And he ships all over the country. He may even ship inter- internationally, That's but awesome. he, he's got a huge fleet of boats and, you know, you can pretty much get exactly what you want for a pretty good price and it's That's shipped perfect. to you ready to go. And, you know, it works out super well. That's awesome. Um, dang. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to look into that uh, for my Alaska trip because it just sounds epic, you know. Oh, um, yeah. Let me see. I'm just checking my notes here to see whether kind of stuff I want to go over. I know we're getting close on time here. So, um, do you – okay, I got two questions. I don't know which way to go on this. How are you doing on time, by the way? I'm great. I okay. got nothing. Okay. Well, then maybe we'll have time for both questions. But – do you have any, do you have like a crazy or just really good pack rafting story? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That, in, that involves hunting. Yeah. Yeah. So the, um, <laughs> one of the cooler trips that I've done is my buddy, Paul is a, um, he's, he's, Hunting wise, he's the person I want to be when I grow up. I'm, I, I'll, I'll openly admit I'm a pretty good bird hunter, but I'm a, a pretty, um, I love big game hunting. I'm not exactly, you know, nobody should look to me for inspiration on like <laughs> how, how good I am at hunting. But my buddy Paul is exactly that guy. He's like, I mean, I just, I, he just sent me a note that he um, had shot a really old, beautiful ram with his longbow in Alaska. And wow. Uh, he doesn't hunt with anything other than a traditional bow. And, you know, he's har- harvested more than a handful of, of doll rams, m- uh, nearly a goat every year, sheep every year, moose. Like, wow. it's, he's, he's incredible. Anyway, he invited me to go um, down to Kodiak and go hunting there. Um, and he... What species? Uh, uh, blacktail. Okay, cool. That's such a fun hunt. Such a fun hunt. So, and he's super good buddies with one of the pilots down there. And the pilot was like, I got this place. I want to take you guys to which pilot, uh, uh Taj. Okay. I only know one, Taj shoemaker but... with, um, um, Island air. Okay. And Ta- so Taj is like, I got Roland. You know him? Okay. I don't know him. No. Okay. So Taj is like, I got a place. I want to take you. I want to take guys in there. I trust you guys to go in there. Um, super like skinny headwaters river. I don't know anybody that's floated it in the last 20 years don't know what you're going to find there he dropped us on a lake that you know and i've flown a ton in alaska and it's one of the few times i've actually been like gripping the plane as we're coming into <laughs> land because i'm like there's not enough room on this like we're gonna clip yeah. the bushes trying to you know set this thing down but he, he he's great pilot. he dropped us in there and we so we go jump on this trip and we're, we're having a great time. We're a little early. We were in October. So the deer weren't rutting yet. We saw deer everywhere, but they were super skittish mm-hmm. really. And the, and the, um, all that terrain was super loud and it was really hard to get a good stock on them. So Paul's a class five kayaker, like unbelievably good boater. I'm a class four plus five minus kayaker. We're both, skilled boaters like we yeah. know what we're doing and we're on this river that couldn't have been 15 feet wide oh and we're gosh. paddling down this thing 
and you know we're in kodiak on a 12-day hunt in october we've got limited gear we're in the middle of nowhere you know only like one person even knows where we are and we are you know i said you know for safety's sake be careful don't go around any corners that are sketchy anything like that and sure enough here paul and i are bombing down this this thing (laughs) it's a flat water river but we're bombing down this thing but it's really tight and twisty checking things out and we'd had a handful of like really tight spots where there was like a big willow bush that had fallen over in the river and you could barely skirt the edge of it and i'm like 200 yards ahead ahead of paul and I come around this corner and I'm like, oh, there's another willow across the river. And we're like, I don't want to get out of the boat. (laughs) And so I'm like, I'll be able to get through it. So I'm like skirting the edge and there's this like stick sticking out over the river. And I'm like, I'll be able to just push that out of the way because sometimes you can do that with willows. And I misjudge the speed of the current, misjudge everything. (laughs) And I was like Wiley Coyote. I mean, just like boat went under and I just like stayed onto the stick, got tipped out oh no ass, ass over tea, tea kettle upside down head in the water came up totally soaking wet my boat's continuing downstream i'm running after my boat like tackle it fortunately my boat didn't flip because i my bow was unsecured everything was unsecured oh my it was, gosh it, you know it was total horrible rookie move from a pretty experienced person and then i managed to finally like you know, swan dive onto my boat, grab it, and I'm stopped. And I literally turn around to see Paul doing the exact same. Oh no! <laughs> so <laughs> it was it was a it was a pretty comical thing for what are, should be two super experienced, yeah, um, backcountry travelers. Did you have to get out and like get a fire going and warm up? And... Oh, I mean, if we were. It was one of the wettest trips I have ever done. We there was almost no fire to be had. We were. I just ended up having to like dry out gear inside the tent over the next like couple of days. And, oh my gosh. You know, I will say that my experiences uh, growing up in Alaska and especially my experiences when I was first starting to pack craft in, in my early twenties with no PFD, really bad boats, no safety gear, no dry suit that um, I'm better at suffering wet and cold than most people. That's and good. so we kind of just suffered wet and cold for a few days until we dry. We got a we got a dry day and we dried out. We I hiked up to a ridge, got all of our um, our Gore-Tex off, and just I think just hiked along a ridge for about three miles to. Wow! <laughs> we just kill any deer? Everything we did, we did. I ended up killing a pretty small buck. Who was but I was still super psyched to that, and yeah. I think Paul Paul was just being generous to me and let me hunt for the first nine days because as soon as I killed mine, I watched him like open ground belly crawl stock a really nice mature buck for about 600 yards and i couldn't because i watched the whole thing with a spotting scope and he was and it was just like you know i'm like crawling through bushes and i can't get close to these deer and he's like (laughs) open ground stocks this thing to 30 yards and um stands up and um shoots it and i was just like okay that's how you do it (laughs) that's amazing dude it was an incredible hunt that yeah, we we did that one in um in August and oh yeah, way up high in the Alpine. It was it was a lot of fun, man. Yeah, they're all in velvet still. Then probably yeah, super our, cool. The first one we shot was in velvet, and then me and my buddy like doubled up on the last day, and they were both hard horned. Okay. Yeah, but it was yeah amazing. I can't wait to go back there, man. Yeah, such a cool spot. I I want to. That's that's a hunt I really want to go back and do again. Yeah, you should try it in August, man. It's pretty cool. Okay. That's, it's that, that's yeah it's like, almost like a poor man's sheep hunt you know you're up yeah. there. yeah oh it's perfect we were in a goat lake actually like, like the pilot was yep. like i usually take goat hunters here yeah um have you done you see you many ever, goats in the plane we did but not yeah not, not hunting foot Mm-mm. yeah yeah it was yeah, crazy I heard the, the way goat hunting out. is incredible there yeah um, have you, you haven't done it yet no i have not yeah um, you got any other, you said you got archery elk, any other adventures coming up this year? Or? I I have an archery elk hunt. Um, that's all be going out later this week. And then I've got a, uh, a rifle cow elk hunt, kind of the, the meat hunt cool. that I, um, um, in Northern New Mexico that normally my wife does, but she's going to be, um, at home with the kid this year. And so I'm, 
I'm going out to do that. That'll be in October. Um, and then I don't have any other hunts planned right now. I tried to get a Montana tag. Didn't draw it this year. So I'll get it next year. Uh, deer tag or elk. Uh, elk. Okay. Montana elk t- tag. And then I was, um, I talked about doing a, a caribou hunt in Alaska and, um, that's probably what I should have done when, when this other trip fell, fell through is I probably should have just gone up North, but I didn't have any hunting gear with me. So I was yeah. like, Ugh. Oh, well, it was always next year. Yeah. Um, it had been gray and wet for a week and I, you know, Alaska can do that to you. <laughs> oh, it can. It definitely can. Um, well, cool, man. This has been fun chatting with you, man. Uh, you know, I, there's a few more questions I want to ask about the company, but it's okay. I mean, hunting is more, maybe yeah. more interesting anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but uh i appreciate your time and uh where can folks find out more about uh alpaca rafts and and all that good stuff on our website alpacaraft.com's probably got the best you know the most comprehensive information and you know or give us a call uh you know the the girls that work over in customer service are super knowledgeable super helpful yeah can, yeah i think uh, i called when i was looking at mine and just ask them a couple of questions and they were pretty cool. Just answering yeah. the questions. Yeah. They know, they know the boats well. Um, and you know, even if, you know, they don't hunt a lot themselves, like they get a, enough questions and they talk to those of us that hunt here, they'll, they'll, they'll be pretty knowledgeable about what the boats can carry and kind of what fit, fits best for your situation. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, cool. Thanks again. I appreciate your time, dude. It was good talking to you. Yeah. Appreciate it. All right.